right, and, and for those who didn't hear, uh, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 if, if you want to turn there. Uh, for his question was, uh, when you, um, it, I, would say, I would say we're going to go twofold on this. Uh, he said, what do you do when you, we're trying to correct and, and talk to someone who is um, uh, sharing some false teaching or um, uh, getting out of line um, and they hold the wrong beliefs? Um, he, uh, Eric, Eric brought it up specifically as it relates to a church, uh, but I think it also, you know, how long do you stay and you share and you say, here's what Scripture says, and then when do you go? Um, and then the second thing, I would take that to an individual as well. Uh, let's start with the individual, and then we'll go corporately. Um, if you are in the midst of uh, trying to correct someone and they have a hold to a false teaching um, or, or something that is wrong, the first thing I would judge about the individual is I would say, are they claiming to be a Christian or not? You know, because there are a lot of people that hold a bunch of spiritual beliefs. They've got the definition of, uh, of Jesus that uh, they heard on Oprah a couple of years ago or they heard it from, you know, uh, some other Hollywood movie star. That They're not necessarily a believer. That's just what they believe about God. I, I don't believe that, um, uh, that we ought to just walk away from that individual. I think we ought to say, well, let's, let's just go see what the Bible says. And I'll tell you, Philippians chapter 2 is a great place to go to it because we're going to talk about that uh, as we talk today. A lot, we hear a lot uh, today about uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to talk kind of, kind of who he was and, and really after his death, burial and resurrection, who he was. So as an individual, if they're not claiming to be a believer, they're just claiming to be spiritual. Uh, maybe they're searching. I would say hang in there and do your best to keep talking, keep dropping the witness, be salt, be light. Don't separate themselves. Now, if, if they report themselves to be a teacher of false teaching, then I would encourage you to correct them and, and challenge them and take them to God's Word and, and push back on them. But at a certain point, if they call themselves a teacher, and it's pretty clear that they're going to be uh, theologically incorrigible, they're not going to change, then I would say do what Scripture says, which is shake the dust off your heels and go somewhere else where, where, the, fruit is, where, where, the, where the fruit is definitely lower on the vine, where the field is more uh, ripe for harvest, and, and don't sit there and beat your head and beat your head, and we can think of, of people who, um, who are in current cults of the day, uh, whether they be Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or something like that. Uh, we all want to be able to share the light and, and, and plant the seeds of the gospel if they show up, but we don't want to spend the next 400 years uh, talking to one individual uh, who's not going to change uh, apart from them being willing to look back to what Scripture says. So that's on the individual level. One is if, they, if they're just searching, they're seeking, and they're just wrong, point them to the truth. Uh, that's what Jesus did uh, everywhere he could. Um, but uh, if, if they're the teacher, uh, then spend a little less time and then move on. Uh, now, when you get to a church, uh, where, where do you determine, where do you draw the dividing line in a church and where, where, where you would go? Um, first, I would try to step back and, um, and determine uh, the, the biblical underpinnings of what is typically taught. Start there. Don't, 
don't don't necessarily look at the music and don't look at you know the way they dress and you know because you can go to some really really casual churches uh, out out there and see shorts and flip flops and cups of coffee that doesn't make make them heretics. Uh, you can see some churches that are uh, you know suit and tie and and very very formal and and the ministers in a robe and uh, that doesn't make them heretics nor does it make them right. Um, so you want to say, what are the theological underpinnings of, of what is typically being taught here? Uh, is, it, is it grounded in the Word? Is it grounded in the Word or is it grounded in, you know, the, the latest fad or the latest taught or the latest teaching or, you know, um, uh, the latest psychobabble that is out there? Uh, is it accommodative or is it authoritative? And, and there's a difference there. Uh, accommodative means, well, what, is, what does current culture say about a certain issue related to marriage or a certain issue related to gender or something? And if it's accommodated. Now, now there's a difference between being accommodative and being sensitive. Jesus walked through, and he was sensitive all the time to where people were and who they were. And, man, if they were lost, they were lost. Just take the woman at the well. You're talking about a, a, a messed up life, a, a screwed up life. If there's anybody to walk away from, say, she's beyond repair, that was the girl. And uh, Jesus didn't do that. Well, we can, we can run into people uh, all over the place today, and um, there's... Um, uh, you know, if, if someone has a child that's struggling with something, it's not going to be that uncommon for that parent to be more open to that. Does that make sense? Because they're just, they love their child. You know, they, they love their child. Uh, I can go back uh, uh, years, years ago in my ministry that uh, people, uh, I've known some very, very, and I'm not there with my kids yet, very, very hard line on divorce. There is no grounds for divorce until your daughter is in that kind of a relationship. Does that make sense? And, and it's, just, it's just one of those things that you want to... So there are times that moms and dads or parents, they're, they're, they have somebody like that uh, in their family. I know that whenever, whenever seasons come up, um, related to the redefinition of marriage, we've had several times recently un, under our previous president, that I would go and I would, from the platform, address... Uh, what is what is marriage? You know, what is identity? What is gender? What is those? And I would address those. Uh, here's what I know: um, that someone, it happens every time, is going to meet me in the atrium and basically say I'm unloving, uncaring, and whatever. And here's what I always find out: I always look at them and say, "Who is it? Which one of your family members struggles with this?" And it's always there. It's, it's their sister, it's a, does that make sense? It's a brother. And, you know, for that, I'm much more gracious because they, we all want to include those we love and the grace and love. So uh, when you go back, go back to, um, to a church, are they accommodative uh, uh, of certain things, which means they're saying something's okay? Or are they just permitting certain lifestyles to be around so they can hear the gospel? Is what they teach authoritative? I would say the, the ultimate dividing line uh, is, um, relates to issues of theology, biblical doctrine. Uh, when someone begins to uh, disparage the deity of Christ, the full humanity and full deity of Christ, that, that is a no questions asked, I'm done. 
okay? I am done, especially if it's coming from the teaching uh, ministers of the church or the leadership of the church, I'm done. If it, uh, if it is a clearly a, an accommodative stance, if it's an open stance, and, and I will just tell you, in our church we have people that struggle with certain lifestyles that are welcome to come and worship with us. And I want you to know that's your pastor's uh, bent on that. I, we are happy for them to. I want them hearing the. I want them hearing the gospel, and I want them to be uncomfortable. But I don't want them to be uncomfortable because I've been hateful to them. Because guess what? They can go find some place that will not teach the truth of the gospel about what relationships ought to be like between a male and a female, what's right and what's wrong. So we're loving, and at the same time, understanding that you know, although although you know, some this might be their sin. The people sitting right to the right and right to the left, uh, they have their own sin. It may just not be that sin. So we also want to be careful that, that in our authoritativeness, we don't raise one or two sins above all the other sins. Uh, so anytime it comes to related to doctrine, who Jesus Christ, salvation, what it's about, uh, then you come to the secondary issues, uh, the most common secondary issues that I see in churches today that would cause me to, uh, uh, to leave uh, would probably be more of a prosperity-type gospel aspect. And when I mean prosperity, I'm not just talking uh, about, um, about money. I'm talking about, you know, you're always going to be healed if you love God and you have faith and you're always going to be healthy and you're always going to be wealthy and you're always going to have be wise. You know, someone begins to say, if you give some money, God's going to pay it back a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Uh, and I want you to know, uh, man, I love you guys enough and, 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 and your wives and your children enough. If I thought I had any permission from Scripture, to stand before you and preach, if you give to God, you're, you're going to get it tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold over. I want you to know I'd preach that to you. But, uh, but I don't see that in Scripture. I do see times in Scripture where people are blessed beyond measure. Uh, but I, that, that always seems to be God's call, and he never consults me on who he would like to bless because I just want you to know as your loving pastor, I would start with me. Um, <laughs> God, let's go ahead and try this out. <laughs> uh, I, I, and then right after I'd had all I needed, which would be a bunch, uh, I would want to share. I would want to share with y'all. Um, I, wish, I wish I could pray uh, that, uh, uh, and teach from Scripture that everybody that gets sick that we pray over uh, as, uh, as the leadership and the elders of the church and we anoint with oil uh, that they would be healed. Um, you know, we just, we just lost one of our own guys in here, Dan Crum. And just, uh, I will just tell you as your pastor, and if you, for those who were at that service, you heard me say, I, I never thought we were going to be there with Dan. I never thought Dan, Dan was going to, going to die. I, I just didn't. I just thought it was going to be a miracle. I really did. That's what your pastor thought. That's the way I talked to him. That's the way I prayed. Uh, while at the same time, uh, there was a lady within our church, uh, who serves on our personnel team that came in with a much more advanced case of cancer who it looked much bleaker for by the time she found it and showed up. And things did not look good. Yeah, he's in, in y'all's class. And, uh, you know, if, if, I was, if I was a betting man, which I would never do, uh, you know, I would have said Dan's going to be here and, and she's not. And that was kind of what the doctors would have said to both of those early on. And guess what? It turned out exactly the opposite. 
and uh, you know I might. So, so does that make sense? So, I would I would start with first of all the main things. What do they say about Scripture? What do they say about? Um, you know, what do they say about Jesus Christ? What do they say about salvation? Is salvation uh, of of uh, of faith through grace completely without works? Those kind of higher level things. What's the authority of Scripture? Then I would go to those those secondary teachings, uh, the um, the extension teachings of a prosperity gospel or something. I, I would go away. Um, then I, I would go with um, the general morality of the leadership. Uh, you know, if, if what is what does it look like the lifestyle of the leadership is? Don't please don't look for perfection. Uh, you'll find it here, but don't look at Justin because we'll all be in trouble. Um, you'd be okay if you examine my life. Uh, but uh, you know, look look at the morality of the leader. What does it seem to be their lifestyle? I I, I don't see any. I, I don't mind a pastor being blessed. I don't mind a pastor uh, being good. Scripture says he's worthy of du- double honor. Uh, let me mention that again. He's worthy of double honor. Uh, uh, so it's not, it's not, you know, I think there are a lot of people that, that want the pastor to make the exact right sum of the person who makes the least amount of money in the church. And that's kind of where the pastor, I don't, I believe that's bogus too. I, I, I just want you to know, I, I don't believe that, that your, that your pastor ought to always have to suffer and his kids ought to have to suffer. But at the same time, there, there are great pastors out there, uh, that, uh, that, um, that struggle financially. And uh, they just make ends meet, and they're bivocational pastors and stuff like that. Um, so I, I would look kind of at the lifestyle of the leadership. Uh, do they seem to be really uh, generating a lot of capital on the on, on, on how the church is? Uh, so look at the morality of the leaders, uh, authoritative uh, scripture, extensional. You know what what are the extensions of what they teach in the prosperity gospel? What they teach of health, wealth, healing, those kind of things. Then the, then the next thing is look at the morality of the leadership. Then you get down to practice. Then you get down to issues of practice. Uh, issues of practice would be um, what kind of music do they play? Uh, what kind of uh, dress do they have? Those are purely practice. Okay, how do they live? How do they act? How do they walk? Uh, if uh, you know, if it's an issue of practice, I would just say be careful. Sometimes we don't fit in. Uh, I'll just tell you this: we I tell people this all the time when I encourage them to go to life groups here. Uh, don't don't feel like if you look at our life group um, and you uh, you see hey this is in my age group my um, uh, my you know my my marital status married between the ages of X and X and you walk in that room um, and you just don't connect I say try another one because every life group we have, every Bible study we have is going to have its own personality. It's going to kind of adopt the personality of the class, personality of the teacher, personality of leadership. Some are real, you know, vivacious and fellowship-oriented, encouraged. Some are real deep thinkers, you know. You, you can get the engineers of the faith, and you can get the salespeople of the faith. And, and sometimes those, uh, those classes have different... So there are churches like that as well. There are some churches that are, uh, that are really... Um, uh, that they're really dry, and, and that's just who they are, and God's got a great place because their practice is fine, their theology is fine, their existential teaching is fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, watch practice. Now, that doesn't mean every church is for you. 
because that also means, you know, this church might be theologically right and they don't teach anything uh, that extends beyond God's Word. This church might be theologically right. This, this church might be theologically right. But the one you like seems to be this one. Then, then, then that's okay to go, go be a part of that one. Does, did that help? Did I, did I scratch on the surface? Um, and then, you know, there, there's always, be, be careful also when you're judging someone who is teaching uh, or, or who is talking um, that uh, kind of figure out where they came from too and why they teach the way they teach. And then if you do need to go and talk to them, go personally, first of all, and say, hey, man, you, you kind of said this and did you mean that? And I will guarantee if you were to look as much as I try to be just biblically, as biblically accurate uh, as before, uh, it would not, you know, probably if you listen to 22 years of my messages, as funny as we're cleaning all this stuff out, um, uh, Chris uh, Scobie just came up to me the other day and he goes, hey, I got something for you. And uh, he handed me a cassette tape of one of my messages back from 1999 in the old building, right? and I was teaching out of First Thessalonians, and he goes, you, you ought to go listen to that and make sure you uh, know, and I'm like, man, when I, I was so new at this, I'm scared what I told those people back in 1999, is I, that, that was my first time to ever teach through. Uh, I just started pastoring here in 1995. It's 1999. That was my first time to teach through 1 Thessalonians. Hopefully by the time I've gotten through it, uh, you know, a second time, I'm better and I've learned a little more. And uh, so kind of find out where they are and what their history is. And if they've had a long pattern of teaching and they're teaching the same way, uh, then uh, then you, you, you probably want to say, yeah, he's probably set in his ways. Or if all of a sudden someone ventures off, and we've had this in this church, that people were a good teacher for a long time, and all of a sudden they started, they found this ministry somewhere in the backside of nowhere, and they've started following their teaching, and and all of a sudden their teaching begins to stray from from God's word. Then you then you got to be careful. You want to go in and say, hey, you know, let's make sure that we're checking what we're we're studying back to God's word, always back to God's word. Hopefully that helped, Eric. Uh, all right, um, any other thing? Any anybody new in here? First timers in here? All right. Apparently, he just decided he doesn't like what's going on in the church and uh, he's out. <laughs> he was going through the checklist. <laughs> yeah, what you got, Doug? Yes, yeah, R.C. Sproul, great, great teacher, preacher. Uh, uh, everybody know who R.C. Sproul was? Boy, a great, uh, great teacher. Great. Uh, uh, I always liked R.C. Sproul when I first surrendered the ministry, and I hear him teach. His first time to ever he, because he always kind of sounded like a smoker. You know how a sm- people had smokers' voices, just kind of ra- a little bit of raspy, raspy voice. I, I loved him, be- and I loved him because he's intellectual. You know, you could, I could tell the first time I heard him, I said, "This dude's like way smarter than me. I need to listen to him." And um, the great, great teacher of the faith and uh, great words of faith. Well, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, let me pray and open up, but no first-timers in here. All right, we're not going to be here next week. We'll show back up uh, January the 2nd. Uh, Also, um, this weekend, uh, we have six different candlelight services. They're all candlelight, all exactly the same. Uh, Saturday night at 5 p.m., that's our Christmas Eve Eve service. Uh, and then Sunday morning at 9, 30, and 11, uh, then 1, 3, and 5. 
Uh, we added the 5 p.m. as a new one because just what it looks like with uh, the trending interest in our um, in our services uh, that we added that 5 p.m. service. I would encourage you, and if you can, uh, particularly since that is a Sunday morning, we're doing the 9:30 and 11. Um, if if you're a 9:30 person and you can get your family to do it, go ahead and come to the 9:30 candlelight service. If you're a 11 o'clock person, go ahead and come to the 11 o'clock service. We don't want all of our people who can typically go wait until the three and the five o'clock and then it'll be uh, bigger but at the end of the day we want you to come when your family can uh can come so it's going to be exciting then beginning the new year um looking forward i'm going to be preaching a, a sermon series out of psalm 139 uh we're um uh, it says in Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I will praise God uh, for I'm the works of his hands. And then he numbered my days. And so a sermon series entitled, This is Real Life. Really looking how God shaped us and put us together. And uh, we're going to be talking about things like salvation. Uh, we will come back and circle back to the idea of church that how God created us uh, and knit us together and knows us well and wants us with relationships with other people. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and gifts uh, during uh, during that series as it goes through uh, January. Uh, we're going to be talking about salvation uh, and baptism, what it means uh, in that, and that's, uh, that's real life faith, uh, the ups and downs of life as well. So let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer, and we'll go to Philippians chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. Uh, Lord, as we journey towards, uh, uh, towards Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas, I pray that our hearts and minds and our souls uh, would be focused completely on you as we seek out your ways and your will for our life. Father, there are some guys in here uh, that they know very well that they're going to be united over the next couple of weeks uh, with uh, with family members who uh, have either gone astray or don't know don't walk in the faith or don't uh, uh, don't don't journey as Christ did and so God I pray for them right now I pray that they would even think now and be praying now and that their hearts would be prepared now uh, to share and to plant the seeds of the gospel uh, to uh, perhaps um, uh, reunite uh, with a loved one and a person that uh, and, and their family, that, that, that relationships have been broken and bridges down, that uh, they would build a new bridge of the gospel and the grace and the love. Uh, Father, there are some in our extended families who are, uh, who are navigating through difficult times. This is uh, a season uh, of hurt and pain. And so, God, I pray that just the guys in here, uh, would be just uh, gospel lighthouses, uh, uh, being salt and being light and letting each conversation they have with their family and their extended friendships uh, to be extended uh, would, um, uh, would always have their conversations seasoned, as it were, with salt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We do want to be sensitive and open this time of year. Uh, it, is, it is sad that uh, here's what we know. There are a lot of people that are around us that, um, uh, that, that, that the mom and dad have determined that they're going to make it through the holidays and uh, through Christmas, and then they're going to divorce. They're just making it through one more Christmas season uh, with, uh, with the kids. And uh, so I want to encourage you to be sensitive to that and, and, and look and listen. Uh, if, uh, if that happens with a neighbor or someone, a lot of time it's not uncommon for them to say, we're, we're going we're gonna to hold this thing together through Christmas, and um, then we're going to tell the kids in January what a horrible new year 
Um, and so we want to be open to that. But let's look to Christ. Uh, you know, a lot is a lot is talked about, and I'll be preaching about it Christmas Eve. Um, and and I've already been cre- uh, preaching about it the last couple of uh, Sundays that uh, uh, we talk a lot about Christ's birth, and rightly so this season of the year because it's what it's all about. Uh, but I want to talk to you about who Christ is. And so as uh, people begin to talk about Jesus and uh, even baby Jesus, that they want to talk in that direction, uh, that you'll have the theological underpinnings of who Christ is. So if something comes up that you can, you can have opportunity to say, well, you know, that's really not exactly right. This is it. And here's what it says uh, in Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to move through uh, verse 1 to 11. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, if there's any, any, any encouragement... Any comfort in Christ, um, as there certainly is in abundance, uh, uh, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship uh, that we share by in the Spirit, if there's any uh, great depth of affection or compassion or anything, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love uh, towards one another. There's a lot of one another's in Scripture. Knit together in your spirit, intent on one purpose, uh, and living out the faith and the gospel. Then he says in verse 3, he says, do nothing. Nothing from selfish or empty conceit. He says, "Through uh, don't be don't be don't be splitting things up. Don't don't divide people up. Don't don't pursue empty gains." He says, "But listen to this: with humility, regard one another's as more important as yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also look out for the interests of others." He says, "Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus." In other words. We always want to be looking to Christ for our example. Have the same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And that's always a good reminder uh, for us. It doesn't matter how long we've been in church. Um, We want to have the same mind and the same attitude that was in Christ. And and I shared this at an event that was here at the church last night uh, with um, a bunch of people uh, from uh, from, uh, Collin County who are elected officials who, who have, who have been, been elected different places. And Brian actually let out, and way to go, Brian. Had almost 300 people here, uh, elected officials. And uh, one of the things I talked about is Jesus uh, in the upper room in John chapter 13. And uh, I, I talked about the fact that if there was anybody that, that should have had his feet washed in the upper room, it was Jesus, right? Yeah, I mean, who he was fully God. He had become man. He had walked on water. He had fed the 5,000. He had made the, made the lame walk. He had caused the blind to see. He had done all of that. He had done all of that. And still, instead of him saying, hey, boys, I've been with you long enough. Y'all need to wash my feet because I'm going to do one more hard thing for y'all, by the way. And it's a really hard thing what I'm about to do as I head out to the garden. So why don't y'all just kind of make this all about me? This last night, let's make it about me. What does it say he do? He says after dinner, he sat down, took the rope, uh, put, put a towel, put it around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet. And, and, and let's not forget who those disciples were, a bunch of knuckleheads, right? I guarantee you, if we think about this room, uh, if, I were, if I were to say, hey, by the way, I've got a surprise for you. There's a, there's a pail and a towel under the table, and I want one of you to wash the other guy's feet at the table. My guess is y'all would resist, right? 
you and, and, and think about it. We have socks and shoes and everything, but but you just glance around the table. My guess is you can identify the guy who has some nasty looking feet, right? That you're, I don't want to see your feet. I don't want to touch your feet. And I bet that guy doesn't do his nails. Probably got those old ugly stuff. I didn't go in. I didn't go that deep last night, Brian. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't exegete toenails last night. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, think about how nasty it must be for us to to think about getting down and washing our feet. And uh, but Jesus gets down, and how much more so for them walking around barefooted, some sorry slabby you know, fishing foot, man, can you imagine what it has, just torn up, nasty, and he gets on his knees, but it's not just that he got on his knees, what a humbling experience, thinking about them other than himself, but then he goes around and he, he, he looks up at people like, Peter like, people like Andrew, I mean, you look at Andrew, what did Andrew do? About all he did was found Jesus and brought Peter and then slipped into the background, I mean, you're like, where have you been all the time? You know, I know you're, you're in the list. You show up. You're in the upper room. You're eating my food. But beyond that, what did Andrew do? He pretty much brought Peter and drifted in the background. There are a couple of those guys that they're just a list of three, James Aless and, you know, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, and, and other. What do they do? They just pretty much just show up in the list. You know, that's all they are. Anytime there's a list of disciples, they just show up there. James Less. We, we couldn't know less, you know, about him. We don't know that much about him. You look at some other guys uh, in, in that upper room that, uh, that James and John, he referred to as Sons of Thunder. Uh, that was a good thing. We talked about that as a character sketch uh, a while back. Uh, you know, James became a martyr and John, but, you know, they looked, at, they looked at him. The mom showed up and said, hey, listen, I'd really like for my boys, one of them to be on your right hand, one of them to be on your left hand. Jesus looked at her and said, you have no idea what you asked for. And you got people like Doubting Thomas in there you know, over and over again. But think about it. There's another guy in the room, Judas. He got down on his knees and washed Judas's feet. My guess is there are times if we aren't careful that, um, that we, we look at people and we say, I would never wash their feet. Let me tell you what, there's a pretty good imagery in Scripture for us to never have that attitude about anybody else just from that upper room. When you just think about the guys who were in that upper room who Jesus washed their feet, and then remember at the end, he goes, you, talk, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. But he says, no servant is greater than his teacher or master. He says, therefore, I've left you an example. You go do likewise. And so for us, that's our high calling. And this is exactly what Paul is reflecting uh, back on. He says, man, listen, uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. Then look at verse 4. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but the interest of others. Man, that's a hard one to carry out. Do not look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. You know, anytime a, a, a church is navigating and reaching out and ministering, um, uh, to two people, we we're always caught uh, as as leadership and as a church and as people with uh, the idea. This is the gospel idea of ministering to those who are here 
but reaching the next generation. Ministering to those who are here, but reaching the next generation. Ministering to those who are here, but reaching the next generation. Reaching someone who is lost. And uh, it's, 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 that's one of the things that's difficult in a church. It says, do not look out, merely look out for your own personal interest but also for the interest of others. And uh, we could become a fantastic church that uh, looks at our current membership and spends all of our energy and all of our time ministering to the personal interest of those who are here. And that would not necessarily be a bad thing. We all have interests. We all have needs. We all have the. But the truth is, part of the gospel call, part of who the church is, it's to reach the next person through the door. It's to share the gospel with the next person who doesn't necessarily look like us, talk like us, act like us, smell like us, uh, come from the same background. They don't have the same marital status with us. Uh, They're not part of the uh, same socioeconomic uh, stratum as us. Uh, They're not the same color of skin as us. They don't speak the same language as us. All of those things, that's really what we need to be about is we need to make sure that we don't spend all of our time looking out for our own selfish interests, but looking out for the interest of others. That's why I always tell people that, um, uh, that we, we've always chosen here. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't divided our, our, our church up into traditional services and contemporary services. Uh, we, we try to model what we call a blended style of service, which over my years now I have realized uh, that is just a 22 and a half year root canal. Uh, because what we do is we don't make anybody happy. We keep everybody a little bit unhappy. And when someone will come and talk about, you know, we need to do more of this, play more of this music. And, uh, you know, the truth is we could play more of that music or we need to play more of this music. Truth is we could play more of, the, uh, of that music. But here's the reality. Uh, I, I just try to tell them, hey, well, then just ignore that song and wait for the next one. You know, you might like the next one a little better. And uh, we always want to make sure that when we're asking or we're grading a church, is this about my personal interest? And, and, and those are those practice things. Or is this about other people? And then you step back and say, what's the point of playing this song, singing this song? It's a little more contemporary. What's well, hopefully to reach that next person through the door and uh, so that they can hear the gospel. He says, don't ever do that. Now, jump down. And here's where we're about to move uh, into more of the theological aspect. Look at verse 5. He says, then again, if you didn't get everything I just said, have the same mind in you or the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, In other words, look to him in his selfless humility, particularly when he was up in the upper room. He says, although, here's theology, here's Christology, the study of Christ. We've been looking at angel audit. Who, although he existed in the form of the unchanging essence of God, who existed in the form of God. He was one with God. If you look at that word form, it is the Greek word morphe. It is the Greek word, we get our English word, morphology. Uh, what is that word? Remember, angelology, anytime you see ology at the end of something, it means the study of the word before it. So this word would be morphology, the form of God. If you were to study the form of Jesus Christ, you would come to the conclusion he was the exact form of God. So that's what Paul was saying here. He was, before he entered this earth and took on human flesh, he was the exact morphe of God. He was the exact form of God. Remember what John said in John chapter 1 in that Christological passage. He said, in the beginning, what? In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God, and the Word was God. There you go. The Word was God, all right? 
what was John saying? John was saying, remember, a lot of times what we want to know is we learn uh, these texts. We want to know who were they speaking to. John was speaking to Greeks, distinctively Greek people. That's why he used the word logos. Paul in, in Philippians is really speaking from a Hebrew mindset and through a Hebrew mindset, they understood forms and they understood function. And so he uses the word morphe. He says, listen, he existed in the very form of God. He was the same essence as God. And so that's what we understand. He says, now listen, he goes, listen, he, he existed in the very form, the essence of the unchanging God uh, as one uh, who had possessed all the divine attributes. That's what he means. Uh, the entire nature of deity was possessed in the very form of Jesus Christ. But listen to this. And he goes, but after that, God highly exalted him and placed back with him the name which is above every name, that at the name of somebody give it to me, Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you think about it, go down and read Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The humility of John 13, him washing the disciples' feet. The humility of him being nailed to a cross. The humility of him going through a bunch of mock-up, mockery trials. Him being beaten by sinful men, being mocked, sped upon, having a crown of thorns placed. Imagine the humility that God in Jesus Christ's human form went through for you and me. So when we go to the manger... And we look at the sweet little figurines this year. Remember the cross. Remember how the depth of love that God has for us, that he was willing to pour out himself. He was, a lot, he was willing to allow his blood to be shed on the cross for you and me. And still in the midst of it all, his first words from the cross, to look up into heaven and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But then God put him back in his rightful place because there is coming a day that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the Christmas story. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you for the opportunity to just be open and real and have some fun and uh, just tell them uh, my story. God, let us go out of here loving you, loving you more, being willing to share more. Give us each an opportunity to share the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys.